Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. I'm Devin Wilkins, founder and president of CATRA, the Canadian Old-Time Radio Alliance, and I'm thrilled to have the opportunity to introduce you to Canadians and Old-Time Radio. Let's begin with something from our Made in Canada segment. In 1937, Toronto pianist Bert Pearl was asked to pull together a program that would serve as a summer replacement. Well, it wasn't long before that program required a summer replacement of its own. The Happy Gang first aired in June of 1937 and left the air in June of Yes, it's the Happy Gang from Toronto with Kathleen Stokes at the organ, Blaine Massey and his violin, Cliff McKay and his clarinet, Jimmy Navarro and his vibraphone, Eddie Allen and his accordion, and with Hugh Bartlett, pinch hitting for Bert Pearl as your master of ceremony. Happy and healthy, the heck with the end, wealthy, so happy with the happy gang. Oh, thank you, Herb May, and hiya, friends. This is your master of ceremonies, Hugh Bartlett, pinch hitting for Bert Pearl on this Friday, February 23rd. Well, we sort of gathered together some newies, some oldies, and sort of made a Friday blue plate special out of it. And we kind of hope that today's show will answer a lot of requests sent in by you good listeners. We're off to a flying start with the entire gang, and especially featuring Jimmy Namaro and his vibraphone. How many mallets, Jim? Four. Four mallets. Okay. In a bit of a rendition of a song made very famous by the late Fat Waller, I Ain't Misbehavin'. <laughs> Thank you. 
all right about now. I see Miss Kathleen Stokes and Mr. Herb May gathering around the microphone. What's it all about, Herb? Gay, how's about uh, today's word to mothers? Take special care if your baby develops a childhood disease when he's cutting his teeth, especially if he runs a high temperature. You see, the enamel that forms the outer covering of the teeth can be badly affected by this. Grooves and rough ridges may develop. So watch this carefully after a childhood illness. Thanks, Kay. That's sound advice, Mother. And so is this. So much easier for you to train kitties in that important toothbrushing habit when you give them Colgate's toothpaste or tooth powder. Yes, children really go for that grand peppermint taste of Colgate's. And you can be sure, too, that it's safe. Yes, safe. Because Colgate's is guaranteed absolutely free of all harmful abrasives. And so it just can't hurt delicate tooth enamel or irritate tender gums. And Colgate's is thorough, too. Its foam penetrates right between teeth and floats out those tiny hidden food particles that so often start tooth decay. So, for a safe, dependable dentifrice, for your children and the whole family, rely on Colgate's toothpaste or tooth powder. Good advice, Mr. Murray. Good advice. Yes, sir. Well, right now uh, is the time where all the moms and the gals and everybody else out along the network hear a young man on our show say, uh, Hello, Mom. Yes, sir. It's Eddie. Oh, no. He's got a relative in here today. (laughs) Yes, it's Eddie Allen. And we have a service special ad today for the Wren switchboard operators and the SDO staff, HMCS and Hyathans. And it's the very lovely, I had a little talk with the Lord. Eddie? Dust was falling on the Pacific. All was strangely still in the silence before the battle. In a foxhole in Bougainville. Faces were tense and waiting till a boy brought new hope their way and fearlessly told his buddy as they knelt to God to pray. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
and you will share his reward. For I found the strength to fight for my land. When I had a little talk with the Beautiful song, beautifully sung. Well, next in line comes our great big son of fun who didn't even know he was next in line. Sorry to wake you up there, or did I? No, well, you didn't. Cliff, we have an awful lot of service specials for this. Would you like to start? Fine, Hugh. For the lads on board, HMCS Helena. For the RCAF Postal Staff, Penhold, Alberta. For the patients of F and G and I wards, Deer Lodge Hospital, Winnipeg. For the patients in Percy Jones General Hospital, Battle Creek, Michigan. For the boys in War D2, Camp Warden Military Hospital. For the RCAF lad stationed at Goose Bay. For the boys of F flat, Winnipeg General Hospital. And you take over your own <laughs> All right, I'll do that. For the barbers and tailors at Camp Shiloh. For the patients of room 424, Ottawa Civic Hospital. For the gals in isolation ward 318, Holy Family Hospital, Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. For the gals in ward 16, Victoria Hospital, London, Ontario. For the boys at number 10, Bombing and Gunnery School, Prince Edward Island. For the patients and staff of Military Ward, Grace Hospital in Windsor. And for the RCF lads at Sand Pit, British Columbia, here is Cliff and don't fence me in. Wildcat Kelly, looking mighty pale, was standing by the sheriff's side. And when that sheriff said, I'm sending you to jail, Wildcat raised his head and sighed. The land under starry skies above. Don't fence me in. Let me ride through the wide open country that I love. Don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me off forever, but I ask you please. Don't fence me in, just turn me loose. Let me straddle my old saddle underneath the western sky. On my tires, let me wander over yonder till I see the mountains rise. I want to ride to the ridge where the west commences. Gaze at the moon till I lose my senses. Can't look at hobbles and I can't stand fences. Don't fence me in.
helped me straddle my old saddle underneath the western sky. On my cayuse, let me wander over yonder till I see the mountains rise. I want to ride to the ridge where the west commences. Gaze at the moon till I lose all my senses. Can't look at hobbles and I can't stand fences. Don't fence me in. I'm an old cow hand from the Rio Grande. So, Papa, don't you fence me in. There's an answer to that. With a stomach like his, how could you fence him in? There's an answer to that one, too. Friends, I think uh, maybe a lot of us have uh, often thought of the title of the next song that the gang is going to do for you. I mean, if you're, uh, oh, well, if you uh, work in a ladies' hosiery shop or uh, you're a clerk in a department store, you're a streetcar conductor, a fireman, a radio announcer. Or shovel snow. Or shovel snow. Uh, every once in a while, you kind of think, there must be an easier way. Well, this is it. Private Buck McGinnis, who used to sleep so free. Now gets up at dawn when they blow the reveille. They march him and they drill him. Till he's completely out. When he hits his bunk, you'll hear him shout. Oh, there must be an easier way to make a living. There must be an easier way to get along. My captain is the guy that I fired last July. There must be an easier way. Mortimer, the sailor, who never saw the sea, joined up in the Navy and said, here's the life for me. A month upon the ocean, he never left the rail. When the boat would roll, you'd hear him wail. Whoa! There must be an easier way to make a living. There must be an easier way to get along. I'd give up all I'm worth just to see some solid earth. There must be an easier way, you, 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 you. Luke McGluck was nervous. He had an awful fright. Flying in a plane on his very first solo flight. The plane went into a nosedive he couldn't straighten out. And as he jumped, you should have heard him shout. Whoa! There must be an easier way to make a living. There must be an easier way to get along. I get dizzy on a train. What am I doing in a plane? There must be an easier way. Now, Tony was a boxer, and he was doing fine. One more fight, said he, and the title will be mine. They matched him with Joe Lewis and got him in the ring. When he woke up, he began to sing. There must be an easier way to make a living. There must be an easier way to get along. I was doing fine, then smack. 
I'm flat upon my back. There must be an easier way. Ed, 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 everyone likes music. They like to hear it played. They envy radio artists and the salaries they are paid. People always ask us. They figure we should know what it's like to work on the radio. There must be an easier way to make a living. There must be an easier way to get along. Though sometimes we sound pretty tired, we'll work until we're fired. So keep happy with the happy gang. Somehow after that rendition, I can feel two weeks' notice coming up. <laughs> Here and about now, we introduce a song that goes something like this. Ready or not, this is the spot. Here comes Huey with the joke. Hot, old or new, come on, Huey. See what's cooking in the joke spot. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Our story, I'm getting too old for that clip. You and Arthur Murray, yes. Yes, sir. Our story today takes place in a local hospital where we find Sir Pipestem Q. Haberdashery, local man about town and now retired violinist of the happy gang, <laughs> just recovering from a very serious operation. Now, I might explain, friends, this is a very, very sharp joke. You'll have to pay attention. Very subtle, you know. As we look in on the scene, we find ourselves in Sir Pipe Stam's <laughs> private room just as he is coming out of the anesthetic. Sitting beside his bed is the renowned surgeon Horace K. Butcherknife, M.D., P.D.Q., L.S., M.F.D., who has just performed the operation. So let's listen as the patient says weakly, Where, where am I? It's um, perfectly all right, so pipe stem. You are in your own private room here in the hospital, and I, your doctor, am with you. Well, gee, Doc, was the operation success? Uh, yes, Sir Pipestem, it was. Well, uh, why are all the blinds down? Well, you see, Sir Pipestem, there's a huge fire across the street, and I didn't want you to wake up and think the operation was a failure.
one of the nicest versions of a tune whose title I can't pronounce. Thank you, kid. And now, hey, all the gang on Palmolive's Beauty Massage. Palmolive's Beauty Massage brings lovelier complexions to two women and just That statement has been proved by women who made the 14-day Palmolive test right in their own home. Listen. Vancouver women report that Palmolive's Beauty Massage complexions for 72%. Sherbrooke women report improved complexions for 75%. And St. John women report improved complexion for 86%. As women all across Canada, all ages and skin types, tell of the wonderful results they're getting from Palm Olive's new face cloth massage plant. Listen to what Miss Beverly Roberts, who lives in London, Ontario, says. Palm Olive's beauty massage has corrected my oily skin condition and has helped my skin become free from blemishes. The test has been very satisfactory, so much so that I shall use only Palm Olive soap from now on. So why don't you try this wonderful palm olive way to a better complexion? Here's all you do. For the next 14 days, wash your face three times a day and with a face cloth, vigorously massage palm olive creamy lather to your skin for an extra 60 seconds. Then rinse, brush with warm water, then cool and pack dry. And that's all. And our own little spoon goon back at the microphone with a brand new song, one that's catching on very quickly in public favor. A song called Waiting. See? I will be waiting No matter how long you've been away Yearning for your returning I'm sure is popular in most servicemen's minds when you sort of get off that train in a strange city and uh, look around at a lot of pretty gals. You sort of think, uh, gee, wish you were waiting for me. There you stand alone at the station, staring at every face that you see. Gee, somebody is lucky. Wish you were waiting for me. Walking back and forth, kind of worried, wondering where that someone can be. Gee, that someone is lucky. Wish you were waiting for me. I see it clearly, your arms around me. 
60-second face cloth massage can do to give you a softer, smoother, lovelier complexion. Remember that this massage is recommended by famous skin doctors because palm olive is made with skin-soothing palm and olive oils, two of nature's finest beauty aids. Happy Gang Broadcasting. Would like to remind you that according to my calendar, this is the last Friday in February. And Friday, as you know, here in Canada is Stamp Day. So be a good housewife, a good citizen, a good friend of ours, will you? And take your change when you buy those groceries this afternoon in war-saving stamps. Until Monday, over the weekend, remember to keep happy, won't you? back again Monday at the same time. The Happy Gang is brought to you by Colgate Palm Olive Products. And so until Monday at the same time, remember Palm Olive and happy listening. This is the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. That was an episode of The Happy Gang from February 23rd, 1945. For our Canadians Abroad segment, I'd like to feature an episode of Suspense starring Hume Cronin. Now, Cronin is very well known for his performances with Jessica Tandy, but he was actually born in uh, London, Ontario. And did you know that he was good enough to have been included in the 1932 boxing team for the Olympics. And uh, did you also know that he decided to change his major at McGill University in Montreal, and he changed it from pre-law to acting. And I guess you could say the rest is history. Here he is then in an episode of Suspense called Blue Eyes. Suspense. Tonight, Roma Wines bring you Mr. Hume Cronin as star of Blue Eyes, a suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. 
day began just like any other day. Got to bed early last night because I had to go over the accounts with Mr. Bevins. And when you go over the accounts with old Hawkshaw, you've got to be in tip-top shape. Well, I dressed myself rather carefully this morning. I put on the necktie with the little flowers on it, the blue and red one. Jane said she liked it. Told me it matched my eyes. Made them look bluer. <laughs> well, I went down to breakfast. My wife, Laura, was having her coffee. Good morning, Oliver. Morning, dear. I'll have to warm your coffee. Here's the paper. Oh, thanks. Oliver, must you wear that tie? Hmm? That frightful necktie. Not at all becoming. Well, it matches my suit. It's a perfectly dreadful shade. Makes you look like a rube. Well, I like it. Well, I don't. And I wish you wouldn't wear it. Oliver, aren't you listening to me? Oh, sure, sure. I, I was reading. Oh, well, don't let my conversation disturb you. That's all right. Oliver. What's wrong now? Oliver, I don't know what's gotten into you lately. You, you forget things. You scarcely seem to hear a word I say. Aren't you feeling well? I feel fine. Why shouldn't I? Well, you look a bit drawn. I believe I'd better make an appointment for you with Dr. Thacker. Look, Laura, there's nothing the matter with me. I better get going now. I'll be late. Well, you haven't finished your breakfast. That's all I want. I'm not very hungry. Where's my briefcase? On the hall table. Oliver, are you sure you're not ill? You look positively hollow-eyed. I never felt better in my life. Well... See you tonight, dear. Goodbye. Oliver. Yes? I hope you'll all... Well, nothing. Goodbye. Laura was like that. A chronic warrior. She seemed to take delight in fretting about things that wouldn't even occur to the average person. Imagine me not feeling well. Why, I've never had a sick day in my life. There on the trellis was my prize rose bush. Climbing talisman, they call it. Suddenly, I was thinking of Jane. Perhaps if I put a rosebud in my buttonhole, Jane would notice. She'd say something about how the scent matched her perfume, and then maybe we'd talk about roses, and I could impress her. Because I know quite a lot about roses. I was just about to pick one of the buds. Well, well, good morning, Mr. Littlefield. Good morning. A two lettuce for you. Oh, good morning, Mr. Crowley. Oh, you see, you're doing a little gardening, huh? Well, no, I, I was just sort of looking garden over. Oh, well, it's a mighty fine garden you got there, Mr. Littlefield. Uh, you work pretty hard on it, too, I suppose. Yes, I've given it a fair share of my time. Yes, a little too much, maybe. I beg your pardon? Well, it pays to be on the safe side, Mr. Littlefield. Now, of course, of course, this ain't none of my business, but it seems to me... Well, you're getting to look a little, uh, peaked there, man. You, you better go easy. Yeah. Well, uh, good morning, Mr. Crowley. Yeah, good morning to you. I've got to get going anyway. Oh. It was the second time I'd heard it. And the day was hardly more than an hour old. First, Laura, now the postman. I felt all right. I felt swell. I thought of the rosebud again. I bent down, snipped off a bud from the bush. I had to take the red cross pin out of my lapel to get the rose in, but I didn't mind taking the time. After all, one minute more or less never harmed anyone. I didn't know then how precious a minute can be. Glanced at my watch, 8.23. Had to run part of the way to the station. 
I arrived out of breath, panting, perspiring a bit, but I made it. Steve and Joe helped me aboard. Hey, Oliver. <laughs> you ought to get an earlier start in the morning. Well, I, I was delayed at the house. <laughs> Listen to old Ollie Wheeze. <laughs> and you're the guy who used to be a drag scar in high school. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the old wind, Ollie? Oh, I'm all right. Just a second now. Oh, seriously, Oliver, it's dangerous business for a man of your age to be running around that way. Man of my age? Listen to him. You'd think I was 80. Hey, you know what you need? Maxidrine. Pep you up. Make you feel like a million. I tell you, there's nothing wrong with me. I got two or three here with me. Little box in my pocket somewhere. Ah, here, here we are. Let me make you a little present. Non-habit forming, you know. Maxidrine? What do I want with Maxidrine? Oh, you keep it in your pocket. Take a half of one with some water when you get a little... That sagged out feeling, you know. Pep you up like a million. Make a new man out of you. All you had to do to get membership was smile at me and say, Mr. Littlefield, you look sick. Mr. Littlefield, you look peaked. Mr. Littlefield, why don't you just find a nice quiet corner and go and curl up and die, Mr. Littlefield? It was nine o'clock when I got to the office. I noticed a lumpy feeling in my solar plexus right here, a little to the left of my heart. It was just indigestion, of course. I got my accounts together, and I went into Mr. Bevan's outer office. There was Jane at her desk. She looked lovely this morning. Sunlight coming through the Venetian blinds seemed to blend with her blonde hair. All at once, I wondered why I'd never married Laura. Sunlight never did anything for her hair. Jane was busy, and she didn't see me come in. I coughed, lightly. <clears throat> oh, oh, Mr. Littlefield, good morning. Good morning, Jane. I heard you cough. Do you have a cold? No. No, I haven't a cold. I never felt better in my life. Oh, I'm sorry, oh, Mr. Littlefield. Forgive me. I, I didn't mean to snap at you. I'm afraid I'm a little jumpy this morning. Well, I can understand your being jumpy. Mr. Bevins can certainly be an old bear if he finds a mistake in the book. He certainly can. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't worry. You're, you're well dressed for the occasion. That rose in your lapel should appeal to his more pleasant side. That, that is, if he has a pleasant side. <laughs> I just happened to notice the bud in one of the bushes in the garden this morning. I don't know why I wore it. Oh, it looks very nice. Thank you. It's a climbing talisman. Do you know anything about roses? Uh, no, no, I'm afraid not. They're my favorite flower, though. I grow them as a hobby. I had some exhibited once. Oh, my dear, you must be quite a gardener. Oh, no, 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 not really. I... You see, there isn't a lot to growing roses. You oh. just have to watch your soil carefully. Irrigate, of course. Oh. And uh, roses take a good deal of spraying, too. Oh, yes, I see. And let me tell you, if you intend to exhibit your flowers, there mustn't be any evidence of insect damage. Uh -huh. You see, a rose is judged first by its form and color, then substance, then... Excuse me, Mr. Yes, sir. Have you seen Little Beal? Uh, why, why, yes, sir. Well, he... Mr. Bevins, Mr. Littlefield has been waiting for you in the outer office. You you didn't call, sir. Is it necessary for me to call my employees after I've made a specific appointment? I'm sorry, Mr. Bevins. I'm sure that Mr. Littlefield... Mr. Littlefield's would... a fool. Have him come right in here. Yes, sir. Oh, Mr. Littlefield, I'm... It's all right, Jane. It's all right. I'll, I'll go right in. I walked to the door. I could feel that lump inside of me getting bigger, almost choking. What right did Bevins have to say such things about me? And in front of Jane. I reached for the door handle and turned. Well? 
Well, Littlefield, what are you standing there for? Come in, come in. Sit down. Littlefield, I believe you're aware of my sentiments regarding punctuality. I expect my employees to be on time. In fact, I demand that they do. Well, you see, Mr. Bevins... Never mind. We'll discuss the matter at a later date. Right now, I want to see the vouchers. Last month's. Yes, sir. Right here. Littlefield, these are the May vouchers. Oh, so they are. Sorry, Mr. Bevins. Uh, Here. Hmm. Let me see the audit on these. Yes, sir. Not the sales slips, Littlefield. The audit. What the devil's wrong with you, man? What? A person would think you are completely addled. Addled? Well, I, I, I'm not addled. And I'm not a fool, either. You you had no right to call me that, do you understand? Littlefield, I think you must be ill. I'm not ill. Don't say I'm ill, because I never felt better in my life. All, all, all that's wrong with me, Mr. Bevins, is that I'm mad. Yes, that's the word for it. I think you are mad. Completely mad. No, that's not what I mean either, Mr. Bevins. I'm perfectly all right, except that I'm not going to sit here and listen to you calling me names. I've got 17 years' worth of temper stored up right here, and I'm warning you, Mr. Bevins, I'd like to tell you just what I think of you. Get out of this office, Littlefield. If there's one thing, I will not tolerate it. Insubordinate. All right, Mr. Bevins, all right. So I'm insubordinate. And it may surprise you to know that I've wanted to be insubordinate for 17 long years. See here, young man. 17 years I've worked for you, and, 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 and what thanks have I had for it? Two dollar raises and listening to you Little about... Littlefield, get out! You're fired. I know, sure, I, I'm fired. But that's all you can do to me, Mr. Bevins. All you can do is fire me. Why didn't you fire me a long time ago? So there I was... Out of a job. What was the next step? Couldn't go home in the middle of the day. I could, but you don't know Laura. I'd never have been able to explain it to her. She wouldn't have understood. She never understood anything. With her, it was payday, the bridge club, a new hat for Easter. Everything suburban, everything in a rut, always in a rut. I went back and sat in my office to think... Then I got up and went to the water cooler. Pulled my handkerchief out to wipe my hands, and something fell out of my pocket. It was that little pillbox. I opened it. There were three and a half of those maxidrines in it. I swallowed them all. Then I sat down, and a little later, I began to feel clear in my mind. My life was this awful, deadly grind because I was married to Laura. She was the cause of all my unhappiness, the cause of my failure, the reason for my losing my job. Something would have to be done about Laura. Why not eliminate the cause? That was it. Eliminate the cause and you have the situation licked. Eliminate the cause. Suddenly my mind was made up. I must kill Laura. Now, Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Hume Cronin, who, as Oliver Littlefield in Blue Eyes, continues a narrative well calculated to keep you in suspense. Murder's a tough proposition. Takes a lot of thought. Mustn't be messy or violent. It's got to be quick and effective. Or a guy stands a good chance of getting caught. How to do this thing? 
How to do it without a slipper. Suddenly, I had it. Laura took some medicine every night at bedtime. Two tablespoons of powder that Dr. Thacker prescribed for her and a glass of warm milk. If I were to get some poison that looked like that powder and substitute... Yes. That was perfect. It couldn't miss. Quick and effective. Three o'clock. I walked up the steps of the public library and went in. Yes, sir. Can I help you? Uh, I'd like to see some books on... Uh, yes? Uh, I, I just wanted to look something over on, um, on... On roses. Oh, I see. Well, that's horticulture, section five, just across the aisle. Oh, yes. Horticulture, of course. Thank you. I took a book from the shelf, thumbed a few pages, then finally decided to risk a quick glance in the direction of the librarian see if she was still watching me. The desk was empty. She'd left it. Then I saw where she was, at the other end of the library, stacking books on a handcart. Here was my chance. I could slip across to the science alcove without her seeing me. I went to the section marked Science, Medicine. Looked in the card index file under P, Pharmacology. Pharmacology and Therapeutics by Walter A. Bastido, Ph.G., M.D. Someday I'm going to look up those initials and find out what they mean. I found the book. The index said, look under hydrocyanate acid and cyanate. And there it was. Cyanate. Used as an intensifier in photographic development. Two and a half grains of this cyanate is reckoned to be a lethal dose. I could buy the stuff at a photographic supply store. Two and a half grains. Fatal. Pardon me, sir. Yes? I'd like to put these books away if I may. Oh, you're the gentleman who was looking for books on roses. Oh, yes, yes, I was. Well, I'm afraid you're in the wrong department, sir. As I told you a moment ago, you'll find everything on roses in... Oh! Oh, that was clumsy of me. I'm terribly sorry. Oh, it's, it's all right. My fault. I was in your way. You dropped your book. Here. Thank you. What? This isn't a book on roses at all. It's pharmacology. Oh. Well, what do you know about that? I must have picked up the wrong book somewhere. Yes. You must have. She stared at me as I put the book back on the shelf. I turned and walked away. I could feel her eyes following me to the door. I was conscious of that lump under my heart again. It felt heavy and hard like a rock. There was a dryness in my throat, too. I swallowed a few times to get rid of it. At 4th and Sutter, there's a photographic supply place. Oh, good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. Uh, I'd like some cyanate. Yes, how much do you want, sir? Oh, uh, enough to treat some negatives with. Quite a few negatives. Mm -hmm. About two pounds? Oh, yes, I think that'll be fine. Then I'll weigh it for you. What kind of camera have you been using? What? Uh, oh, I have a brownie camera. A uh, brownie, eh? Yeah. A lot of people are going back to him since the war. You can take good pictures of Buck's camera if you use it right. You know what they say? It's it's not the camera, but the man behind the camera that makes the pictures. Yes. And what size negative do you shoot with it? Negative? Well, as far as negatives go, I, I shoot... Two and a quarter by three and a quarter, probably. And that's what most brownies... Yes, that's the size. I wasn't going to be able to keep this up much longer. I was bound to make a slip sooner or later. Couldn't say that I was in a hurry. He might get suspicious. 
man buying poison shouldn't ever be in a hurry. Why was he taking so long? I could feel perspiration on my forehead, cold and damp. The room began to look lopsided. Everything seemed to be swaying. Swaying. Grip the counter with both hands. Grip it tightly. Now, smile. Here you are, sir. That'd be 57 cents. Yes. Here you are. Thank you. Hey, hey, uh, just a minute. Hey, hey, mister. Hey. I heard him shout after me, but I kept right on walking. Faster. So a photographic studio was just like a drugstore after all. If you bought poison, you had to sign for us. Well, I wasn't going to... No, I wasn't going to... I, I ducked around the corner. Hey, hey, mister. Hey, hey. Hey, officer. Did you see a fellow just come out of here? What fellow? A gray suit, blue tie, rose in his buttonhole. No. Uh, he's gone. Uh, what do you make of that? The guy gives me a 20 instead of a 1, disappears. Well, I can do business like that all day long. I won't forget that, gent. No, sir. I arrived home at 6.30. Laura wasn't there. The table wasn't set. Well, she was probably late shopping. I went upstairs and I found the bottle in the medicine chest. The cyanate matched the powder in the bottle perfectly. She'd never be able to tell the difference. I poured half the bottle's contents into the sink, marked with my finger the level of the medicine, then refilled the bottle with cyanate up to the mark and shook it so as to mix it thoroughly. I emptied the rest of the poison into the sink and let the water run for a minute. Now it was done. Everything accomplished, and very neatly, too. All I had to do now was wait. I glanced at the bedroom door. It was closed. All the doors on the second floor were closed. That's another thing. That's another thing I hated about Laura. So precise about her housekeeping. Everything in its place, even to closing the doors when a room wasn't in use. I went back downstairs. I tried to light a cigarette, but my hands were beginning to shake. Nerves again. I took a book from the table by the sofa, tried to read. Then I realized what I was reading. Funny I should have picked up that book. Memory album of Oliver and Laura Littlefield. <laughs> and a dance program tied in pink ribbon. Homecoming Dance, Indiana University, 1928. First anniversary. Oliver and Laura Littlefield celebrating their first anniversary, July the 12th, 1929. They invite you to an informal tea. So, suddenly I was lonesome for Laura. I missed her. Where was she? Why was she late? I... I wanted to hear her voice, e even if she nagged me. It didn't really matter. I, I wanted to hear her say something. I thought back over the events of that day. I, I thought of my married life with Laura. It hadn't been as bad as I let myself believe. It hadn't been bad at all. Laura loved me. She did love me, and I loved her. I must have been crazy to even think of killing her. What would I ever do without her? I leaped to my feet and I ran up the stairs to the medicine chest. I poured the cyanide down the drain, all of it. I washed out the sink with my hand to be sure that the last bit of the poison was gone. It was only then that I... that I was calm again. 
last I come to my senses. Loved Laura now more than ever before. I, I thought of Laura. I thought of the necktie I was wearing, the one that she didn't like. I'd change it before dinner. I opened the door of the bed. Then I saw her. Sprawled on the bed, her face distorted in pain. I went to the bed and I shook her. Laura. Laura. She didn't move. She was cold. Terribly cold. Hello? Hello, Dr. Thacker? This is Oliver Littlefield. Can you come right over, Doctor? Something's happened to my wife. Uh, I think she's dead. You were right, Mr. Littlefield. She's... This, uh, this glass she drank from, it's poison. But why? Why? I'm afraid, sir, it looks like suicide. Suicide? Well, she wouldn't do a thing like that. She had no reason. She, she had a reason, Mr. Littlefield. Your wife was dying of an incurable disease. But that's not true. She would have told you. She wanted to keep it from you. Those were her wishes. I'm sorry, Mr. Littlefield. Without saying anything more, he left the room. I sat there, staring at Laura. My mind was a blank. I don't know how long it was until Dr. Thacker came back. Um, Mr. Littlefield. Uh, what is it? Uh, this bottle. That's the medicine you prescribed for my wife. I think not. Of course it is. What are you talking about? I didn't prescribe cyanate. Well, uh, seems uh, that I may be obliged to revise my diagnosis of your wife's death. I don't understand. Really, Mr. Littlefield, isn't it quite obvious? Your wife's death was caused by a lethal dosage of cyanide. Her medicine bottle was filled with cyanide. The odor is still there. Yes, but I can explain that. You see, there wasn't a bit of it left. I, I threw it all away. She must have bought some herself. I hardly think she'd fill her medicine bottle with poison if she intended to commit suicide. Wait a minute. Wait, please, Doctor. You've got to listen to me. I, I didn't do it. If that's what you're thinking, I didn't do it, Doctor. Dr. Thacker, you've known me for a long time. You, you can take my word for Hello, it. Oh, operator. Give me the police. You, you see, it started with that blue tie. Made my eyes look bluer. Everybody told me I was sick. I started to feel sick. Yes, this is an emergency. That then the rosebud and Mr. Bevins and the Maxidrine. I didn't know what I was doing for a little while. Hello, Doctor. this is Dr. Thacker. Better send someone to 6931 Claire. You know, right away. people can drive you out of your mind if, if they keep saying the same thing to you over and over again. Beg your pardon? You've got to listen. It was a blue tie. Laura started it. She said I was hollow-eyed. No, it, uh, it looks like homicide. Since then, the hours have been long. Endless eternity. How long will I have to wait? How long till they file out of that room and tell me what I already know? The coroner's jury find that Laura Littlefield met her death by poisoning. It's recommended that her husband, Oliver Littlefield, be held to answer. I can hear it now. There's no other verdict. The testimony of the librarian, the clerk at the photographic store, the doctor powerful evidence that lies. Damning evidence that... that'll send Oliver Littlefield to the electric chair. 
Mr. Littlefield, it's all over. I knew it. I knew what you'd find. The coroner's jury found the testimony of the librarian, the clerk, and the rest convincing. Undeniable. And, of course, the presence of a glass of poison at your wife's bedside was confusing. Undoubtedly, she had intended to commit suicide. But, of course, we know now that she didn't. When will I be arrested? That is a matter for the police, if they decide to prosecute. Of course, under the circumstances... Circumstances. Circumstantial evidence. I didn't murder my wife. I didn't. I didn't. Of course not, Mr. Littlefield. The autopsy settled that. Not a single trace of poison in the body. She died as a result of her illness. No poison? No poison. And lucky for you, Mr. Littlefield. Because if she'd committed suicide as she planned, just how would you have been able to prove your innocence, Mr. Littlefield? Just exactly how... Cronin appeared through courtesy of Metro Golden Mail, producers of the Technicolor musical Holiday in Mexico. Next Thursday, same time, Roma Wines will bring you Mr. Robert Young as star of Suspense, radio's outstanding theater of thrills. Produced by William Spear for the Roma Wine Company of Fresno, California. That was London, Ontario-born Hume Cronin starring in an episode of Suspense called Blue Eyes. I don't happen to have a date for that particular episode. And I guess that's it for this week. I hope you'll be able to join me next time. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking.